listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. Um, today, I want to talk to uh, talk to you guys about something that uh, the more I, the more I'm thinking about um, discipleship, and one of the things that that kind of got me thinking about it is, of course, we're teaching Bible study made simple. And one of the aspects of discipleship and being a disciple of Christ, obviously, is we want to know his word. You know, we want to study his word. We want to be fluent in his word. And uh, by the way, it's Monday, which means we've got new content that's out and available for all those that are inside Bible study made simple. Um, We are going through a deep dive on the book of Galatians right now. Today is an awesome one because we're dealing with the background and the historical context of Galatians. And uh, this is such an interesting study. People have been loving it so far. Uh, If you'd like to get on the wait list when we open the course back up in the fall, just go to bible.miracleword.com and you can sign up to be on the wait list. We'll let you know right when it opens. It'll only be open for about a week or so. So if you want to jump in with all of the hundreds of other people that are already doing it, we'd love to have you. So check it out. But as I was thinking about, you know, teaching this and us going through the Bible, learning these principles, I started to think about this concept of disciple, being a disciple of Christ and uh, not necessarily uh, discipleship programs at church, but me being a true disciple of Christ, you uh, being a true disciple of Christ. And I think there's a lot of people that are in the body of Christ that think they know what that means. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that they think they've got an idea of what it means to be a disciple. But the question really is, do we truly know scripturally, biblically, what it means to be a disciple of Christ? And uh, that's why I wanted to kind of cover this today because it is a very specific thing in that Jesus taught what it means to follow him. Jesus taught what it means to be his true disciple. And um, and so I want to kind of cover five different things from the scripture with you today and talk about what it means to be a true disciple of Christ and then and then show you from the scripture what Jesus said about it. Because obviously, if we're gonna if we're gonna be followers of Jesus, you know, it's like there's you've heard me teach it this way on the broadcast. There's a lot of people that say they love Jesus, right? But then Jesus defined what it looks like when somebody truly does love him. And so Jesus' definition of what what it looks like when people love him is totally different than other people's idea of what it means to, to quote unquote love him. So you say, well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus said, those that truly love me are people who obey my commandments. So Jesus is linking your love for him based on whether or not you obey him, right? So that, that, that would be a great example. People think that they love Christ and they say that they love Christ, but truly those who love him are those who obey his commandments. And that's Jesus definition. And so I kind of want to do the same thing when it comes to uh, the definition of being his disciple. What does it look like? You know, what does it look like to be his disciple? And um, on top of that, 
uh, what it, what are we doing? What are people doing? You know, in our nation, in other nations, uh, that they think, well, I'm, I follow Christ, but they're not really sold out to Christ, and they're not really living for Him in the way that He designed you to live for Him. So I want to go through these, and as as Jesus basically called his disciples out, you know, one of the things they were required to do is uh, that they were required. And if you're taking notes, this is number one. So please put it in the comments. Um, If Jesus called them, then one of the things that they were required to do was to leave all to follow Jesus. So put in the comments, uh, number one, I am to forsake all to follow Jesus. I am to forsake all to follow Jesus. And so I'll show you something that Jesus said. If you have your Bible in Mark chapter 10, and uh, I want you to see this because the Jesus is promising a blessing, actually a huge blessing for those that will leave all to follow him. And uh, I'll show you what it means as we look at it, but I'm in Mark chapter 10 and um, let's start reading from uh, verse 23, Mark 10, 23, a true disciple of Christ will forsake all else to follow Jesus. So let's read starting with verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said to them again, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come and eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So you can see now Jesus is teaching his disciples that they are to forsake all to follow him. And you actually see that when the disciples were being called, right? If you remember, uh, Peter was fishing. Peter was cleaning his nets. And uh, notice one of the things Jesus said, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And if you remember, they forsook the nets to come and follow Jesus. Now, one misconception people have about this, and it is it is a common misconception, is that, uh, and I people try to write me all the time, you know, you're, you, if you really followed Jesus, you wouldn't have anything. You wouldn't own anything. That's not what Jesus was saying. Uh, if it was what Jesus was saying, then the apostle Peter was in direct rebellion to Jesus throughout his entire discipleship and throughout his entire ministry. If the key of being a disciple is to truly um, sell every last possession you have to follow Jesus. That's not what Jesus was saying. The way we know that is because even after Peter became a disciple of Christ, remember this, he still had boats. He still had a home. 
And his home not only housed him, it housed his wife and it housed his mother-in-law, the Bible says. So notice when Peter became a disciple of Jesus, he didn't sell his home to follow Jesus. He didn't sell his boats to follow Jesus. He still had possessions, but notice he forsook all. He forsook all. He left the life of being a fisherman. He left those things because he was being called into the ministry, right? And one of the things to be a true disciple of Christ, we are willing to forsake all in order to follow Jesus. And so uh, what does that look like practically for us? Well, it means that once there's a call upon our lives, that doesn't mean every person goes into full-time ministry as a pastor or an evangelist or whatever, but what it is truly is I'm forsaking my own natural desires to do what Jesus wants me to do. So that's one of the reasons that we teach even like our children And we've talked to you about this, that this is how Christian parents should train their children. We should never look at our kids and say, you know, when you grow grow up, you can be anything you want to be. No, that's not scriptural. When you grow up, you've got to be what God called you to be. That's the key. When I, my life is not my own. Remember that as a disciple, my life doesn't belong to me. The Bible says that I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. So honor God with your body. I have been bought with a price. I don't belong to me. I belong to Jesus, right? I don't belong to me. He purchased me with his own precious blood. I don't belong to me. I belong to Jesus. And so the, the thing that we got to keep in our minds is if the master tells us to do something, we do it because We don't get to make our own decisions. We follow his voice. Did you know Jesus modeled this for us? He said, I don't say anything unless I hear the father say it. I don't do anything unless I see the father do it. I didn't come on my own accord. I came to be a representative of what the father wants. That's true. That's a true disciple. And that's how we are. That's how it is even when it comes down to the fruit of the spirit right? The fruit of the spirit, you know, cause you hear some people, they're like, uh, let me tell you, that's just the real me. And if you don't like the real me, you don't want me as a friend because you're trying to change who I am. I just tell people, I tell people what I'm thinking. I just give you what's on my mind. I, t- I, t- I say it like it is. And really that's just their excuse to be impatient, unkind, to not have self-control, you know, all these different things that were commanded to have through the fruit of the spirit. But we say, well, this is the real me. This is just the real me right now. And no, we're not, we're not even allowed to be the real me, quote unquote, because the real me has to submit itself to what the Bible says. That's what a disciple does. I don't choose how I act. I don't choose what, no, I submit myself to the commands of scripture. I am forsaking all to follow Jesus. I'm forsaking all to follow Jesus. So what's the key here? The key is I've left my fleshly desires, my fleshly wants. You know, people think, now, see, I was called to be a a minister from a young age. You know, we're talking uh, five years old. I got called to preach the gospel. But that doesn't mean that I didn't ever want to do any other things in my life or with my life. There were times throughout even the later part of my high school career before I fully uh, made the decisions 
I had other desires of things that I wanted to do as a career, things that my flesh wanted to do. You know, one of the things that, I mean, it's funny to think about now. Um, I think anybody that watches the broadcast knows that I love food, but I, I, even as, when I was in high school, one of the things that I really thought about doing, and this was a fleshly desire, was to become a chef. And I really, one of the things that I thought about often in the last years of my high school career was I would be, I would love to be a chef. I would love to learn how to be a high end chef, like at a five star resort and then either, you know, move to an island somewhere and be like a high end uh, resort chef or have my own restaurants or whatever, those kinds of things. And I thought about that a lot. And um, I was in different classes, like I even had cooking classes and stuff like that. And I enjoyed that. I liked it a lot. Um, but you know, that's my fleshly desire, but I knew that my spiritual calling was much different than my fleshly desire. And I knew what I was called to do by the voice of God. And so you got to make up your mind at some point, you know, am I going to do what the Lord has called me to do with my life? Or am I going to do what I want to do with my life? And a true disciple of Christ will always submit to the voice of the Lord and say, well, you know what, my flesh, and let me tell you something, God has blessed me so much more in my life just for following his voice than I could have with any other career path. I mean, it couldn't have even come close. Even if I was super successful in that uh, arena, it, could, it wouldn't even come close to where God has blessed me and, and, and taken me simply by obeying his voice. That's just a blessing of the ben and a benefit of number one, forsaking all to follow Jesus. And that's, that's the key. I don't care what it is. I will, I will leave anything behind anything behind to follow what he's called me to do. You know, it's like, it's amazing. And people think about it. You know, I don't, I never did until recently think about this because people started to mention it, but you know, being an evangelist traveling on the road, Part of that is me forsaking all, you know, because people are like, you know, uh, you, man, you get to travel, but what you, what you realize when you travel for your whole life is that, and I don't feel taxed at all, but travel is arduous. People are like, I don't know how you travel all the time. I don't know how you live out of a suitcase all the time. I would hate that. I want to be home at my house. Well, you don't think that we enjoy being home at our house. Of course we do. And God's blessed us with a beautiful home, but you don't think we enjoy being there. Of course we do. But my calling says, leave that home, leave that home. There were times early on in our ministry, we would leave our home for eight, nine, 10 weeks at a time, be on the road, never going home one time. And we had a nice home then. And, and I, and, and there were times, you know, why, why is that? I'm forsaking all, I'm forsaking my house for 10 straight weeks. I'm never going to go back. You won't see me at my house. I'm forsaking that for what purpose? For the call of Christ. And so everybody, uh, everybody that, that does what they're called to do, it'll look different for you. You're not an evangelist, so you're not going to leave your house for 10 weeks, but it could be other things, fleshly things. You're forsaking that to follow Jesus. Well, one of those things that you will forsake is you will forsake your natural tendencies and your natural uh, uh, desires. One of the things you'll forsake is the ability to just do whatever you want to do. As I said earlier, talk however you want to talk, treat others however you want to treat them. This is the real me. You know, I'm real. I'm just real. 
And as I said, a lot of times that's just a mask for people not having self-control, love, kindness, gentleness, peace, right? And it's the, the, the fruit of the spirit. We're not submitting to the fruit of the spirit. But let me tell you something. When you're a true disciple, um, you, you learn that your flesh has to be forsaken. And that's what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, uh, I have to put my body under on a daily basis so that after having preached to others, I myself might not become a castaway, a reprobate, disqualified. That's what that word means. So he, he understood that even though I'm an apostle, I am literally in danger of missing out on my qualification if I don't even forsake my fleshly desires. So number one, without question, uh, the first area of discipleship or being a dis true disciple of Christ is that you've got to learn to forsake all to follow Jesus. I have to forsake all to follow Jesus. I'll tell you another one that really, it'll blow people away. Um, is that Jesus even got into it talking about family. Now, this is going to be hard, I know, for some people to hear. But Jesus, if you go to Matthew chapter 10, Jesus made a statement that uh, I know it will blow us away when we read it, when we hear it. But there are people that I've talked to within the last couple of years that have had to deal with this very thing. And you have to make up in your mind... Um, which we'll put this as number two today. I don't love anyone more than I love Jesus. I don't love any person more than I love Jesus. That, that's hard for people to hear. But let me tell you, I've, I've learned, um, especially in the last couple of years talking to people, it's sadly a choice that some people have to make. And it just, it just is. And, uh, let me, let me read this to you. Um, I'm in Matthew 10 and I'm going to start in verse 34 and I'm going to read through verse 38. Um, the Bible says, and this is Jesus speaking, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves, now listen to verse 37 very carefully. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's heavy right there. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So, so let's deal with number two about being a true disciple of Christ. Well, what does it mean? I don't love anybody more than I love Jesus. And, and what I mean by that is there are people that have had to deal with this. Let, let's, let's think about this, for example. What about people who convert from Islam? I mean, what if we just go over to... What, what about people that convert from Catholicism? What you're finding about these is that these are not just religions. Islam, Catholicism, they are cultural religions. 
Think about that for a minute. They are cultural religions. Do you know that if somebody is going to leave Islam and come into Christianity, you have to think about it. They're also making up their mind. I am now going to forsake my family totally because they'll disown me. They will fully disown me for leaving Islam and becoming a Christian and maybe worse than that. People that leave Catholicism. And if you're listening to me or you came out of Catholicism and you've got family, you know what I'm talking about. You leave Catholicism and it's a cultural religion. It's a family religion. So you feel like you're leaving the family. You're, I've talked to people that, that came out of uh, heavily strong Catholic families and they're like, when you leave, it's like you get you're like you're leaving the family. You're not just leaving the Catholic church. You're leaving the family. You're, 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 you're literally going to leave your family behind. That's how that gets treated. That's how it gets treated. But you realize, um, you know, with Islam, you, you, you can't get to heaven as a Muslim. You can't get to heaven as a Muslim. Jesus is the only way he's the truth. He's the life. So if you don't make that distinction, if you don't leave, if you're not converted, it's, it's death and destruction. So, uh, Jesus said that here. You know, are you going to let that pressure of what your family thinks or how your family lives? Are you going to let that pressure keep you from following me? Because let me tell you something. If you have uh, uh, more of a love for your family than you do for Jesus, Jesus said right here, you are not worthy of me. That's heavy, dude. That's very heavy. If you love others more than you love me, even your family father, mother, son, daughter, then you're not worthy of me. And you think about this. There's people that truly won't do what they know they should do because of family pressure. You're going to leave the family. You're going to leave the Catholic church. You're going to leave Islam. And they, and they, it's too much. No, I, I can't do that. But the, we're talking about your eternal soul right here. We're talking about following Jesus. And there have been people that have made up their mind I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what my family thinks about it. I'm sure there's people that are watching live or on the replay. Maybe you're listening on the podcast and you're like, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I've been there. I've dealt with that where it's like, man, my family disowned me once I became a, a, a Pentecostal Christian or I, they've, they've disowned me. Be, listen, uh, Alex dropped a, a, an episode last week on the last gen podcast that I think Lilia did. That was um, uh, the subject matter was. Um, you know, dealing with family members when they don't understand your relationship with Christ. Because what happens when your whole life gets turned around by Jesus and you're like, it freaks your family out. It's like, we've never seen them like this. What happened? Did they join a cult? I mean, what's going on? What is going on? They can't understand it. And they're like, I, I don't get you. You know, I, I don't get you. Um, and so what are you going to do? You know, are, are you going to just compromise your life with Christ because your family doesn't get it or because they're not for it or they think you're in a cult because now you speak in tongues or whatever it might be? Are you going to just give up on that? No, no, I'm not going to give up on that. I'm going to follow Jesus because I love him more than I love my family members. That's, that's what a true disciple does. A true disciple, according to Jesus, loves him more than father and mother, more than sister or brother, more than son or daughter. And people are like, man, that sounds like a cult. No, Jesus said that. Jesus said that. And so I'm not, I'm not going to allow any family member, any family member to govern whether or not I will follow Jesus with my whole heart. 
And that can be hard. I mean, that's one of the hardest things people have to deal with because, you know, who wants to give up family? And you continue to believe for their salvation. You continue to believe that God will touch their heart. But what do you do in that interim period when they're not serving Jesus yet? And they're like, man, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know why you'd leave the family. I don't know why you do What's the problem with you? And, and people, there's all that pressure. There's all that persecution from those that you're supposed to love. But you still know, I got to follow Jesus. I've got to follow Jesus. And that, and that really is the key. That's, that's really the case. I got to follow Jesus. So a true disciple will do that. A true disciple, uh, even though it may, you feel the pressure may hurt, a true disciple will forsake all and then they'll never love anyone more than they love Jesus. That's number two. I'll never love anyone more than I love Jesus. That's right. Lynn helping us out. Matthew chapter eight. Uh, there was a man who wanted to be a disciple of Jesus. And he said, but first Jesus, let me go and bury my father. And what was Jesus response to him? Uh, Matthew eight, 21 and 22. Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Let the dead. So he was saying like, don't even go to your father's funeral. You know, come and follow me immediately. And so the understanding is I have to love Jesus the most. He's my all. He is my master. He's the one that I love. And so uh, anytime you get caught up in loving others more, so what does that look like practically? Well, maybe some wouldn't leave. Maybe some would refuse or go back on their decision to, to leave Islam or Catholicism or something else to follow Jesus. Maybe though, on the other side of that, maybe part of the issue is they'll start to prioritize other family things over Jesus. You know, maybe, maybe for example, and I know this is going to, it's going to hit home for people, but maybe for example, you've got people that will prioritize their kids events over what Jesus has called us to do. Maybe it's travel baseball over Sunday morning church. Maybe, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe it's vacation over church. Maybe it's, we're going to the lake. You know, maybe it's, we'll go to church, you know, when we have time to go to church. Maybe it's that. That is loving other things and other people and other events more than you love Jesus. Because remember, once again, what he said in in, uh, John chapter 14, if you love me, they'll keep my commandments. The ones that truly love me have my commandments and obey them. So this is what I'm talking about, is that if you're a true disciple of Christ, what's going to happen? You'll never love anyone or anything more than you love Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Number three, and this is a, a very interesting. Jesus said, and go to Luke chapter nine with me. This is number three about being a true disciple of Christ. What's up, buddy? Tim Adams. Love you, man. I'll see you soon. Luke chapter nine. And Jesus Toward the end of the chapter, we'll start with verse uh, 57. And this is the actual passage that um, Luenda was referencing. Um, not Luenda, but Lenan. Uh, Luke 9 and verse 57, listen to this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have the, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So, so get this one in your spirit. Number three is that though we're following Christ, notice, notice he's adamant about this. We don't put our hand to the plow. We don't go after our calling. We don't do what he's called us and then start to look back. And then to start thinking about, well, I, should I have done this? Should I have gone this direction? So what is this saying? It's Jesus expecting a wholehearted consecration to the call, the purpose on your life to follow him. He said, nobody that follows me and turns around and looks back, turns around and looks back, put your hand to the plow and then look back. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should be uh, people that are double-minded. Double-minded. Put my hand to the plow. Now I'm looking back. I'm going back, back and forth. I don't know if I should be doing this. Should I be doing this? Whatever. No. I refuse to look back. This is it. It's plan A. It's not plan A, B, and C. It's plan A. I've got my hand to the plow. It's ever forward, never back. And in fact, that's something I want you to write in the comments, those of you that are watching. Ever forward, never back. Ever forward, never back. I refuse to put my hand to the plow and look backward. I refuse. There's no plan B. There's no plan C. Remember something very important here. Um, I was looking at the story of Elijah and Elisha. And of course, of course, I wrote about this in Further Faster. But something I want to repeat to you here today is that Elijah comes down off the mountain. He finds Elisha plowing in his father's fields. And he's got the yokes of oxen and all of that. And Elijah goes up to him knowing by the spirit that Elisha is his predecessor. Uh, not his predecessor, but his, his successor, sorry. <laughs> Words. Um, but he puts his cloak on his shoulders. And he calls him. Now, Elisha had a wealthy family, wealthy father, owned property. He was a farmer. Um, and Elisha probably would inherit all of that. But Elisha also knew in his spirit that I am called to do this. Look at the uh, steps he took as he did this. He didn't just say, you know what? I, I think I will come with you. He made a decision that was so harsh that he could never go back to what he was doing. He didn't just say, I'm going to quit farming. I'm going to quit plowing the fields. <laughs> he took the yoke, the wooden yokes that were on the oxen, took them off, broke them up, and burned them as a fire, and then slaughtered the oxen and burnt them on the wood. It's not like, you know, maybe I'll come back tomorrow and finish this job. No, no, the oxen are dead and the yokes have been burnt. Think about that. <laughs> the oxen are dead and the yokes have been burnt. So what is he doing? I'm making it impossible for me to ever even go back. I am burning my bridges and I'm, there's only plan A. There's no plan B. There's no plan C. 
ever forward, never back. Ever forward, never back. We don't put our hand to the plow and look back. And Jesus said, anybody that does put their hand to the plow and then look back is not worthy of the kingdom. Not worthy of the kingdom. And so how do you, how do you do this part of discipleship? How do I make sure as a true disciple, this is me? First of all, it's important to renew your mind because the natural mind is always searching out options right? The natural mind is always looking at what's possible. Did I miss something? Should I have done this? Do I regret? And so the natural mind is going to do those kinds of things on its own, but that's why it's so vital that we renew our minds. We have to renew our minds on a daily basis and through the renewal. In fact, let's go there. Romans chapter 12. Because we need, to, we need to see this because if we don't do it, then we'll allow ourselves to start to become double-minded and our flesh starts speaking loudly. Starts speaking loudly. And, it, you know, your flesh will say stuff to you that doesn't even make sense. You know, Moses just delivered God's people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. And they're walking in the wilderness. And, and, and listen to this. The moment they start, you know, well, there's not as much food as we thought there would be. You know, they want to go back to Egypt into slavery. Listen to why. Because at least there we had garlic and onions. It's like, dude, you're really willing to go back into slavery for some garlic and onions. It's like, it doesn't even make sense. But when, when you get into your flesh, you'll start thinking thoughts that don't even make logical sense. And you'll start rejecting the spirit of God because the Bible says that the flesh is at war with the spirit, right? The flesh is at war with the spirit. So you have to get and renew the mind. Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse one, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now get verse two and get it deep in your spirit. This is so important. Do not be conformed to this world. So there's the there right, there's the 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 pull. There's the temptation to be conformed to this world. So that's why you got to be commanded not to do that. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So how do I how do I not conform to the world's pattern and system by being transformed? Transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. There it is. The renewal of your mind that by testing you can discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect let me just mention this here because i know there are people that don't you know fully understand how to divide the word that have taught for years that you know god has multiple wills for your life and they'll they read this from the king james at one point in their life and uh they 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 looked at the word order and it says what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of god uh, and as though, well, God has a good will for me and then he has an acceptable will for me and then he has a perfect will for me. And so people talk about being, this is a funny thing to me. People talk about being in the perfect will of God versus being in the permissive will of God. There's no such thing as the permissive will of God. Notice again that this is a singular word here, will, not the wills of God. It's not the good and acceptable and perfect wills of God. God has a will. 
God is not double-minded. He doesn't have multiple plans for your life. He has a will for you. And by the leading of the spirit and obedience, you're either faithful to that will or you're outside of his will, right? It doesn't mean that you can't do things that are not in his will. You can, and he's not going to kill you for it, but it's not going to be what he has for you. And so you'll miss all kinds of blessings by not being in the will of God. So it's not like, well, I'm in God's permissive will, right? Uh, For seven years, I was in his permissive will. There's no such thing. He doesn't have a permissive. Now, he may have permitted you to live however you want to live, but it wasn't his will. Don't call it the permissive will of God. It's not his will. You're outside of his will. He'll permit you to do whatever you want to do. You know what I'm saying? He's not going to control you like a marionette puppet. He'll permit you. You go do what you want. You have a free will, but it's not my will. That's why Jesus prayed a prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. Do you think God would God have allowed Jesus to go do whatever he want and skip out on the crucifixion? Sure. He had a free will, could have done whatever he wanted, but Jesus prayed a prayer of consecration and said, not my will though, your will be done. I'm sure, I'm sure God would have allowed him to do whatever with a free will, but no, Jesus said, I don't want to do my will. I don't know. I don't want to do what my flesh wants to do. I want to do your will, Lord. And that's how we have to be. And understanding it's the good, it's the acceptable. And so notice all three of those adjectives are describing the same singular will of God. His will is good. His will is acceptable. His will is perfect. All three adjectives describing the one noun. You see, and so don't get it twisted that like, well, you know, I can go in this direction and God will have a permissive will for me over here, a good will over me. No, that's not how it works. You're either in his will or you're not in his will. And when we're in his will, I refuse to put my hand to the plow and then look back. I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to look back. I've got to do, and I got to renew my mind so that I, if I don't, here's what the Bible's saying. If I don't renew my mind, then I'll not by testing, be able to discern the will of God. Otherwise, all these other voices come in, cultural voices, governmental voices, educational voices, whatever. And they start to warp this thinking so that I start to then conform to the way the world is living. I don't want to conform. I want to transform. I don't want to conform. I want to transform. Transform to the, to what? To the image of God and his plan for my life. By what? Renewing my mind and knowing what the will of God is. Knowing what the word of God is. So that's number three. Don't put your hand to the plow and look back. Don't be double-minded about your calling in Christ. Ever forward, never back. Number four. The fourth thing that we can definitely see as a disciple of Christ is that we are are not called to be influenced by money and wealth. Now, we should have money and wealth. We should have abundant prosperity without question. But the lure of money and wealth should never drag us off the path of being a disciple of Christ, right? I'm going to explain the difference, what I mean by that. Because um, you can have money without money having you. I want you to put that in the comments because let me tell you, This is something that uh, people do not get about the message of abundance and blessing and prosperity. You can have money without money having you. 
Absolutely you can. Jesus had money. He had enough money that he had to have a a treasury and a treasurer who was Judas, who often stole from the money bag, the Bible says. And they never ran out of money. You'll never find somewhere like, hey, where'd all the money go? They had money. They had excess, which is why they had a bag, which is why they had someone who could steal out. You know, it's like if, if you only have five gold pieces and you go to look in your bag and now there's only two gold pieces, it's pretty obvious that someone's taking our money. But if you've got somebody that's constantly taking the money and you never notice and you never uh, are missing out on anything, you've got plenty. And so as Glenn said in the comments, it's not money that's evil. It's the love of money. That's the root of all kinds of evil. You see what I'm saying? So, so here, this, this becomes the issue then. The issue becomes you can have money without money having you and you should, you absolutely should. Uh, Matthew 19 is where we're headed now. Matthew 19. And of course, you know the story. It's the rich young ruler. But I want you to hear how Jesus deals with him. And remember at the very beginning, what I said about Peter. Peter did not sell every possession he ever had to go follow Jesus. He had boats. He had a home. And he had them while he was with Jesus. He had them after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Peter did not get rid of his possessions to follow Jesus. But notice, this is the only man in the New Testament to whom Jesus instructs, sell all you have and give the money to the poor. It's the only man. And there's a reason he did it. Let's read it together. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 16. But behold, a man came to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said, which ones? Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give, give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the young man heard this and went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. And as my grandfather preached for many years, he didn't have great possessions. Great possessions had him. He was in bondage to his great possessions, which is why Jesus challenged him on that very fact. If you truly want to be perfect, go sell all you have, give the money to the poor. Why? Jesus could discern this man has an issue with money. This man's got an issue with money and it's, it's got a hold on him. So he won't even be able to truly follow me. So go, let's, let's give you a test. Let's give you a test. Go sell your possessions. Give the money to the poor. I can't do it. I'm leaving sad. Why? Because money has a hold of you. So notice in number four, we cannot truly follow Jesus if we're following finances. And I'm going to say, well, people are like, I would never do that. But how many people do you know that continue to work their Sunday shift? Well, I get overtime. Yeah, that means you love your overtime pay more than you love Jesus. Because we're commanded to gather together. We're commanded to come to his house, spend time in his presence. And there's people that won't stop working their Sunday shift because of the rate they're getting on their paycheck. That means that you love money more than you love Jesus. Or what about the possessions you have? What about the possessions you have? 
Think about it. Oh, well, we go to the lake on Sundays. We go on the boat with our family on Sundays. That's our family time. So, you know, we, we don't go to church, you know, maybe once a month we will, but we go, especially if the weather's nice, we go out to the lake and we, we get on our boat. And we just have our, our barbecue and the, you love your possessions more than Jesus. You love your possessions more than Jesus. Right? So, so I want you to see this because <clears throat> Paul even dealt with this. He had, he had to. He had to because there were people that um, in that day, same as in this day, that were totally overtaken by the love of money. It's very sad. Um, The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 and 10, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So what is Paul saying here? So at at first glance, people look at this, see, you, you shouldn't have a desire to be rich. No, no. Paul's teaching on the craving for wealth. He's talking about the craving for riches, the love of money. That's what Paul's talking about. People love money so much, they crave to be wealthy. They crave. What does that end up lending itself to? Greed? What else? Covetousness? You look at others. I wish I, I don't know why I don't have that. I wish I had that. I'm going to do everything I can until I can get that. Greed, covetousness, the love of things, the love of money. See, watch this. If you love money, you'll get destruction. But if you love the Lord, he will bless you financially. I mean, how many people did God bless throughout the Old and New Testament into abundance because of their obedience? The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, that he won't withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly. He will not hold any good thing back, any good thing back. I mean, like, and I'm not, I'm not saying this. I'm just saying, cause I, I noticed it, but I mean like this, this watch that I'm wearing right here was like, if, if I had a love for things and a love for money, guess what? I would have to go work my tail off and get all the money or do whatever. Even if I had to do something crooked to go out and buy this watch that I wanted, I have to do that. Because I want that. I want those I want those status symbols. I want those things. But I just love the Lord. I keep giving. I keep doing what he said. You know what the result of that was? Somebody walked up and just handed this to me and said, the Lord told me, and it's burning in my spirit. I got to put it in your hand. I got to give it to you. So rather than me loving things and loving money and say, I want status symbols. I want cars. I want to, all this different stuff. And I'm out here now. I'm going to work seven days a week and I'm going to get my overtime pay. And I don't have time for church and I don't have time for the Bible. And I, don't have to, and then I got to work and work because I love things and I love money then I have to take care of my, all my own stuff and it brings a curse and I may walk away from the faith and pierce myself through many sorrows. Whereas if you just follow the Lord, the Bible says, if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's why I love Bishop Oyedepo's philosophy. Bishop Oyedepo says this about he and his church and his church family. Their motto is this. If, if God can't give it to me, may I never have it. If God didn't call me to do it, 
let it go undone. And if God can't take me there, may I never arrive. Think about that. Hallelujah. If God can't give it to me, may I never have it. If God can't take me there, may I never arrive. And if God didn't tell me to do it, let it go undone. Because they understand the principle of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. God will add things to you just for obeying him. God will just add things to you because you're obeying him. And let me tell you something else. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with driving a Range Rover, a Mercedes, a Cadillac. There's nothing wrong with that. A Bentley. God doesn't care about things. He loves you as a person. Nothing wrong with having nice cars. Nothing wrong with living in a beautiful big house. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. Nothing wrong with wearing nice clothes or having jewelry. There's not anything wrong with that. What's wrong is loving those things and letting them run you versus allowing yourself to be led by the Spirit and obedient to the Word of God. Nothing wrong. You, you know, Jesus points that out. Look at, how, look at the lilies of the field. Look how God clothes them. Look at the birds of the air. Look at how God feeds them. Do you think he's going to do more for the lilies? Do you think he's going to do more for the birds than he will do for his own children? Jesus taught uh, the, the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, you earthly fathers, you wicked fathers know how to give good gifts to your children. Which of you? If your child asked you for a loaf of bread, would you give him a stone? Which of you? If he asked you for a fish, would you give him a serpent? And so how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those that ask him? That's the kind of God we serve, the God that loves to bless his children. He doesn't mind if you have things. He just doesn't want things to have you. Just doesn't want things to have you. You see. And so the key is that we must do all that God requires. All right, let me give you the last one before we pray. Mark, or excuse me, uh, Gospel of John chapter nine. The Gospel of John chapter nine, one of my favorite passages. And Jesus is teaching his disciples once again what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. And what does Jesus say? Um, in verse four, and I'm, I'm just gonna read the one verse for sake of time. But look at this, John 9, 4, the Bible says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. That's verse five. So what is Jesus teaching his disciples here? He's teaching his disciples, you better have an urgency mindset for the kingdom. Let me tell you one thing that I know for sure a true disciple of Jesus is not going to be on cruise control. I can tell you that right now and straight away. A true disciple, please put that in the comments if you would. A true disciple of Jesus is not going to be on cruise control. Not going to be coasting through life. Not going to be coasting through life. A true disciple of Jesus is full of urgency with an eternal mindset. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching. This is number five. True disciples have an urgent, eternal mindset. True disciples, number five, have an urgent, eternal mindset. 
So put it in cruise control. A true disciple of Jesus is not going to be on cruise control. That's not how we live for Christ. No, not at all. We are going after the kingdom of God with everything we've got in obedience to the voice of the spirit, to the instruction of his word. Going after the lost souls of men before it's too late. We must work the work. Work. There it is. My father used to tell me when I was growing up, ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. Ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. What's he saying? That ministry, you don't coast through ministry. You don't coast through life. You don't coast through what God's called you to do. You work the works of him who sent you while it's yet day. See, that phrase right there also adds to this passage, not just urgency, but it's now time sensitive. Work while it's yet day. Night is coming where no man can work. And so the key becomes, I'm going to be a true disciple. I'm going to have an urgent mindset of eternity and work. I'm going to get to work. And maybe you're not in the ministry, but let me tell you, you work at your job with the expectation. I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to push the kingdom forward. Even if I'm just working my job, I own a business. I'm going to make money. I'm going to be the best business person I can. And then I'm going to fund the kingdom agenda. I'm going to be a pillar of generosity and fund the kingdom agenda. You see that? I don't love money, but I'm going to have it. And when I have it, I'm going to fund the kingdom agenda. I'm going to go after souls. I'll win souls personally. I will sow into souls. I will sow into the kingdom. Why? Because I refuse to be on cruise control. I refuse to coast through life. I've got an urgency and an eternal mindset. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you something, that changes the way you live. That changes the way that you function in the kingdom. Those are the people God uses. Those are the people that God quickly can, boom, I can find him. I can use him. I can use her. I can find her. His eyes are searching to and fro across the whole earth, looking for people whose hearts are turned toward him. You see that? And as he finds you, he'll show himself strong and mighty on your behalf. Hallelujah. And so that's the key. And I, if you may need to rewatch this, you mean to do a replay, you might, might need to listen to it on the podcast, but I'm telling you, God's looking for true disciples of Christ that, f- that fill all these categories. They leave all to follow Jesus. They forsake all. Number two, they don't ever love anything or anyone more than they love Christ. And it shows number three, they'll never put their hand on the plow and then look back, be double-minded about their call and their purpose. They will never be more into discovering what they can get financially. They'll never let money draw them off the path of serving Christ. And then number five, they will never coast through life. They have an urgent mindset. They have an eternal mindset. I will do what I'm called to do before it's too late. Father, I pray for every person that's watching and listening to me today. I ask you that you would put a desire in our hearts to be true disciples, to never miss the calling and the purpose that you've placed upon our lives in Jesus' name. Lord, let this be our most productive year ever. You you told us it's our year of divine possession that we'll go where we've never gone, we'll have what we never had, we'll do what we've never done, and we expect it. But we're pressing in, Lord. We're forsaking everything. We love you. We're putting our hand to the plow. We're getting to work in this kingdom principle, this agenda that you've placed in our hearts to see the end time harvest reaped before it's too late in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory in Jesus name. And if you believe it, throw some fire and some hands up in the comments section 
And today, listen, we're in the middle of revival at the Life Church, Danville, Virginia. I want to encourage you to stand in partnership with us. Listen, you don't have to wait until you say, there's people that are like, well, I'll, I'm going to start partnering with them when I have uh, something, you know, serious that I can partner with, you know, uh, you know, $500 a month or two. Listen, start where you are. This is what stirs me up about when you follow Christ. When you start where you are, he begins to increase you. We had somebody that all they could afford to do was $10 a week. That's all they could do, $10 a week. And she began to faithfully sow it. And let me tell you, it instantly began to increase. And the next thing I know, I look back again and boom, she's bumping up. Now she's a monthly partner. Now she's doing, and, and what happened? She just started where she was at. She started at $10 a week. She started with what she could do. Give God what you can give him now. It'll still take faith, but start where you are and watch what God will do with what he's put in your hand. Remember this, when you make up in your mind, I'm going to be a sower. I'm going to be a sower. When God sees that your heart is, I'm a sower, then the Bible promises he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. You make up in your mind, I want to do this. I want to sow. Guess what? God will put it in your hand to sow. It's, it's amazing. Uh, it happens to me over and over and over. The Lord will tell me to sow something to someone or give something to somebody. And I'll think for a moment and then just quickly do it. And it'll be like shortly after that thing will come right back into my hand. It's like, you know, that money we just gave so-and-so. Yeah. So-and-so just gave us this. It's the exact amount we gave the other person. That's not my harvest. That's God giving seed to the sower. Happened when we, when we uh, purchased uh, the tent for our father, uh, for my father, uh, the tent was $35,000, but my wife and I felt to buy it for my father's ministry. So we sowed the $35,000. I promise you, I shared this last night. We get home to our house in Florida. There's a check in the mail. Somebody sent us $35,000. That was God giving seed to the sower. That's not a harvest. That's seed to the sower. It should let you, it should, you know, obviously it should clue you in when it's the exact same amount of money you just sowed. That's not God giving you a harvest. That is the seed that's coming into your hand. And so today I'm encouraging you. Amen. That's wonderful, Matt and Jill. Do what the Lord's asking you to do. Start where you are. And let me encourage you because listen, we're moving forward. As we said in this broadcast, ever forward, never back. Ever forward, never back. And so attach yourself. I mean, we're when you hear me say the Victory Tribe, we're a group of people. These are those that are standing with us in partnership. The Victory Tribe is people that are standing with us in monthly partnership that believe this vision. They believe in what God's using this ministry to do. And so join us, stand with us. Make up your mind. I'm not going to just coast through life and allow this generation to be destroyed. I'm going to play a part in souls coming in. And one of the ways you can do that is by standing with this ministry in partnership. I know you can't travel around the country and do evangelistic work. You're working a job. You've got a family. But you can stand with us and send the gospel forward by sowing seed on a monthly basis. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Maybe you've never done it before. Go to MiracleWord.com. You see it on the screen. And I want you to fill out that form and stand with us today in partnership. Do what you can. Maybe you're at that place where you're like, you know what? I can only do $10 a week. I can, But there's people out watching me that can do much more than that. I can do $100 a month. I can do $250 a month. I can do $500 a month. There's people standing at $1,000 a month and some even more than that. But do what you can where you're at and watch what God will do in you.
For everybody that wants to sow the seed this month and stand with us, three things that we want to do. First of all, for those that are sowing $85 or more this month, we have Dr. Leroy Thompson's book, Money Cometh to the Body of Christ. And then, of course, if you're sowing $250 or more, we're going to send you along with that Dr. T.L. Osborne's book, The Message That Works. And then finally, uh, for those sowing $1,000 or more in the month of June, we're going to send you the Net Study Bible with 60,000 translators' notes. It's our way of saying thank you, and we love you and appreciate you. Again, listen, I'm here in uh, Danville, Virginia, the Life Church, uh, all the week through Wednesday night. Services are at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So if you want to join us online at the live stream, that's where you want to go and uh, come be a part of it. If you can get here, get here. We would love to see you. We'd love to have you. Again, don't forget that uh, the brand new uh, Kids Devotional is available on the website. Uh, the one-year study Bible study for Miracle Word Kids. Pre-order yours now, and we'll ship it directly to you. Shop.miracleword.com. We'll get it into your hands. I love this product. We finally got the first printed one here in Danville. It just came in the mail yesterday, and it has been uh, so cool to look at. It's the most beautiful thing we've ever done. We want to get you one. Also, we have a bulk pricing. If you want to do it for your children's church or for your classes or whatever, uh, we give bulk pricing for those as well. So check it out in the store, and you'll see it at checkout. I love you guys so much. Thanks for hanging with me today. I'll be back again in the morning, Wednesday morning. We'll be broadcasting live this week. So I'll I'll talk to you again tonight and then in the morning. Have a good one. I'll see you. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.